Cam and I just recently attended our local marches for life in our respective cities, and we both had the opportunity to speak at the march. Cam, you talked about the podcast and you talked about the work we do at CCBR. I had the opportunity to MC and to interview some of the volunteers and activists in the movement to hear what they're doing. So today we're going to debrief. We're going to talk about what happened at the march, some of our reflections, and we're going to share some of the interviews that I did with those guests. So stay tuned. Here we go. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Pro-Life Guys podcast. Cam, so I was the MC for the March for Life in Toronto, and I mean, we're almost, we're almost at 100 episodes where I've said, hello and welcome to the Pro-Life Guys podcast, and I was like really <laughs> making sure that when I stood up and the very first thing that came out of my mouth was not, hello, everyone, and welcome to the 2022 Pro-Life Guys podcast instead of the, the Toronto March for Life uh, <laughs> Anyway, I had my notes and I, I made sure I read it. That was the one thing I was worried about. But you, sir, were at the Alberta March for Life in Edmonton. Uh, you did a fantastic speech there. How did that go, sir? Uh, much appreciated. It was a phenomenal opportunity to be able to speak at the Alberta March for Life in Edmonton. Um, to be honest, we've had something of a tenuous relationship with the Alberta March for Life um, for a while now. Um, back before I even started on staff, we used to bring our choice change signs to the Alberta March for Life, and that rubbed many of the organizers the wrong way. Since that time, we've just been working with them on getting contact info and whatnot. And so it was really, really cool to be able to share for a couple of minutes about the Pro-Life Guys podcast and CCBR and the work that we're doing. Um, and as we'll get into, we're now in touch with about 75 people that um, reached out to us and wanted one-on-one um, -on -one training for how to have good conversations about abortion. And so Alberta was phenomenal. And to be fair, I'm, I'm curious about Toronto, Peter, because I feel like you could have gotten away with saying um, the Pro-Life Guys podcast because... How many of the guest speakers at the Toronto March for Life have been featured guests on the the podcast? I, I feel like almost all of them, right? I mean, Blaze has been on, Jonathan's been on, Kathy Wagenthal was there, and she's been on the program. Um, who else was there that's been on the program? I'm just going to see if I can pull it up really quickly. So yeah, Jonathan was on, um, Micah, Kathy Wagenthal was actually really great to meet her. Um, I'd never met her in person before. We had a great conversation with her when she did come on. Um who else? Tabitha Ewart, we've had on before. Yeah. Um, Katie Summers was my co-MC. We've had her on before. And then there are a few other people that I think we should have on. Um, Cam, one of the conversations that I had, and, and we're going to play it in a little bit, was from the head of Montreal Against Abortion, Marichelle mm -hmm. Diaz. I don't want to share her story. I don't want to spill it uh, right off the top. But I want to. I want you to hear it, our listener, uh, when we play it in, uh, you know, it's, it's going to come up uh, on this episode. But Essentially, she was pro-choice. She was convinced to be pro-life. Uh, she didn't stop there. Now she brought pro-life activism and pro-life apologetics to a whole new city, started a group in a new city and is training and equipping and inspiring people to be active in that city. Um, and so you can hear her story in just a few moments. But Cam, it was good. Um, I don't know if you had this experience as well, but I got to the march way early. Um, because you know we're we're behind the scenes uh, in in many respects, and there's a lot of preparation that goes into it. And there were a lot of CCBR alumni there, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people who have done our internships, a lot of people who have uh, who are not alumni, you know, with CCBR, but certainly have been part of the, some of the projects that we work with, um, Toronto Against Abortion, Hamilton Against Abortion, and and so on. And I think when the guests started to show up, they could sense. 
And this was something that uh, it, it was a good sensing. Uh, it wasn't like, uh, you know, there's them and there's us, but they get sensed that this was a little bit of a family reunion. Um, seeing all of our, our, our friends in the movement, seeing people that we've worked with um, maybe in 2015 or, or, or later, uh, but who are still active. And so that was absolutely fantastic. Um, what else do I say? Toronto March for Life uh, was run and organized this year by CCBR, the Canadian Centre for Bioethical Reform, by ARPA, which is the Association for Reformed Political Action, and by Toronto Right to Life. And so we have a great relationship with with these relate with these organizations, and uh, it was fantastic. Um, I don't know if you have any questions about that. I do know that um, about four to five hundred people showed up, based on some of the numbers that I heard from people who had done the counting. And about 80 or so of those people signed up to get more training, to get more information, to be in contact so that they too could be equipped to have, know how to have conversations, know how to interact with their politicians and know how to be effective in their the fight against abortion. And so um, for, for me, that's a win. Absolutely. And, and I feel like we got a little bit of explaining to do for ourselves because those who have been connected with CCBR for a really long time might be kind of curious. Like I thought these guys weren't super hot on people just going to the March for life. I, I thought these people were right. not the biggest proponents of the March for life. And yet we, Peter, you and I have done um, an episode on how to make the most out of a March for life experience. And I think that where in the past we have been somewhat apprehensive, maybe even critical about the March for Life is not the march itself, but rather how people um, engage with and participate in the March for Life and the greater pro-life movement. In that for many people, unfortunately, there was a long time that the March for Life was simply their pro-life obligation. They would do the pro-life March for Life, and that would be all that they would do in affiliation with the the pro-life movement and that they thought that well i've done my done my duty i've, I've shown up to the march for life i've i've been a good pro-lifer now i can get back to the rest of my life and yet the march for life is phenomenal as a reinvigoration as an educational kind of area as an inspirational kind of platform as a springboard towards greater engagement throughout the rest of the year that it can be daunting it can be isolating being a part of the pro-life movement and the pro-life march for life can be a, a great time to come together and so I, I think that that clarification is valuable peter i don't know if if you want to build on that that it's not that we used to be anti-march for life and now we're pro-march for life it's a matter of what is the lens that we're looking at the march for life and how are we integrating it into our greater pro-life engagement and that's something that uh, myself and Katie, my co-MC, were really trying to bring home, that we're extremely grateful that you came. We're extremely grateful that here you are standing and marching in solidarity with preborn children across this very pro-choice city and across this province. But if we do care about this, if we are concerned about the, this issue, about what's happening with preborn children today, that this can't be the, the extent. You know, you can't come and then leave, and then we come again next time. And the next thing we tried to do, Cam, I know you've been to marches where it seems like we should have balloons and many festivities and bouncy castles and all that, because it just seems like everyone's in a great mood and there's lots of cheering and there's lots of, you know, uh, all of that. Um, we tried to, to push back a little bit on that as well. And one of the phrases that I talked about, and I credit Blaze, um, former guest and colleague of ours, um, for coming up with this. I, I encourage people to have what was called what I call a hopeful solemnity. 
uh, uh, being solemn, having this recognition, this attitude uh, about us that we recognize as we march through this city, what is actually happening, who we're actually standing up for, and the great injustice that's taking place as we even marched at this moment. But then also this hopeful solemnity, knowing that uh, number one, Jesus has won the battle uh, totally, which one of my guests shared, uh, which is going to come on shortly, but also that there are so many organizations and so much work being done on the ground. Justin Trudeau might want you to think one way about what's happening and where our country is being headed, but little does he know about the hundreds, if not thousands of people who are, have their boots on the ground, having those conversations about the people working with ARPA, interacting with their politicians day after day and week after week, and organizations like the Toronto March for Life, focusing on one particular area, but doing presentations in the local high schools in, in both English and French, as my co-host, uh, my co-MC Katie does, um, being on the streets very regularly and providing that training and that constant witness. And so having this hopeful solemnity, solemnity um, as, as an MC, I, I know you know me, Cam, and I know you have strong opinions about things. I have strong opinions about things. And so I tried to take some of my strong opinions about how previous marches for life, and all credit to people running these, I, I am not uh, trying to push back in any way whatsoever, uh, but to take some of what I loved about the marches for life that I've been to and incorporate them into this one and then take what I didn't like and, and replace it what I thought was more appropriate. Absolutely. And I'll just build on what you had just mentioned there, that that any any hesitancy or or criticism regarding the March for Life, none of that is directed towards the, the leaders of the March for Life, right? Like these are people who are providing a phenomenal opportunity. This is more a challenge to the attendees than it is a criticism of the organizers. That that the fact that people don't get involved in the pro-life movement or at times have not got involved in the pro-life movement beyond the March for Life is in no way the fault of those leading the March for Life. I've never once heard anybody say, thanks for coming to the March for Life. Please don't do anything until we see you again next year. The, the organizers of the March for Life are phenomenal. Huge praise for the amount of work that they do. I know they jump through hoops with regards to bookings and and all that kind of stuff. And so huge respect um, for all those that are involved in, in leading these Canadian Marches for Life. And again, as we're going to dive into before we pivot into your videos and, and audio recordings, Peter, um, how do we make the most of what we've just experienced and, and what takeaway lessons do we have that can help us in the rest of the year, the rest of the fight for preborn life? Yeah, for sure. I was going to ask you uh, before we got into that, but I think I think they could go together. Um, what are some of the reflections that you have based upon your experience at the March for Life this year? Yeah, so I we were up in Edmonton, and there was a tremendous amount of joy that we were able to come back together. The Alberta March for Life had been cancelled for two years in a row because of COVID. It was a tremendous amount of joy having people come back together. But I think that there is also a fair bit of trepidation with regards to everything that's happening south of the border. I I um, appreciate Father Dean, um, I forget his last name, he was the MC of the Alberta March for Life, who spoke about how Canada and America are very different cultures, and so what is happening in the States is not necessarily exactly what we foresee happening in Canada, where different cultures, different nations that may go about things slightly differently. He was trying to distance ourselves from some of the headlines that people may be concerned about from the States or, or overjoyed about. And so I think there's that that hopeful but trepidation regarding like, oh my goodness, I've been praying for this moment where abortion is center stage in, in the media 
for years, we've been complaining about how nobody ever notices the March for Life, how nobody notices abortion in Canada or around the world. It gets completely swept under the rug by the media. And now the media is starting to pick up on it and we're completely unprepared. And I feel like there was a lot of that, that there's this kind of anxious energy around what do we do now? Like, like we are in the spotlight. What happens now? And that's really what, what I tried to build into with my presentation that you can find on CSPR's various social media um, accounts, um, Instagram for sure, I think Facebook and Twitter as well, potentially, um, of basically we're ready in our hearts for change. We are ready in our hearts for preborn children to receive the, the dignity and protection and rights that they deserve as image bearers, as um, valuable human beings and members of the human family. And yet we, far too many of us are not ready to have conversations with our neighbors, our friends, our family members, let alone the counter-protesters. And Peter, I'm sure that we'll talk in a moment about the counter-protesters. But I, that was kind of the energy around the March for Life that like, we're excited for what's going on in the world. We're exciting, excited for the fact that attention is being directed towards the abortion issue, but a little bit of trepidation around what do we do now? People are talking about this. People are talking about the potential of Roe versus Wade being overturned. What does that mean for, for America, let alone Canada? Like, what does that mean for us? Does, is that a good thing for us? Is that a bad thing for us? Like, obviously, it can't be a bad thing for us that, that human beings are being saved in, in huge volumes in another country. And yet, are we ready, ultimately, for Roe versus Wade to be overturned? Are we ready in Canada for this to be thrust center stage? And if not yet, how do we make ourselves ready? That was the vibe um, in, in Edmonton. What, what was it like in, in Toronto? Was it similar? Was it a little bit different? Because you guys have had a little bit more of a, a presence, obviously, in Toronto than... Um, We've got a faithful volunteer team in Edmonton, but they haven't been incredibly active. And so what was it like out in Toronto? Yeah, I wouldn't say there was trepidation in Toronto. Um, certainly a lot of joy as well, as we could, uh, as I could tell. Um, you know, a lot of thanks that we could be there for us. This was the second time we could do this in Toronto as well. We started the march in 2019. And then obviously we had all the events uh, that no one wants to talk about. The events that shall not be named, as they say. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, but here we are. I think there was a lot of joy that we could be out. Um, there were people from all over. I can't say all over the province because Ontario is massive. Uh, there was there was a bus, a vehicle that came from Windsor. There were buses that came from Oxford County. Uh, there were folks that came from the Niagara region. Um, and so, so many people streamed into the city that they rarely come into because if you live in those places, you know, Toronto just seems massive and overbearing. And, and you know, you go there to shop and then you leave very quickly. And then you have a story to tell when you get back home. Uh, about all the traffic that was terrible that you had to endure, um, but I think I think uh, yeah, there was a it was a it was a great great time. I think um, that you know even with the protesters, I'll jump into the protesters now. Um, they were they were loud. They had their bullhorn. The the police very thankfully, and I, I was very thankful uh, about what the police were doing the and the Queens Park security about just keeping everything calm, peaceful, and and segregated, which is what the march was for. Um, but they had their bullhorn, they had their signs, they followed us around the march. Um, and I, I believe two people in the back, I think they were marshals who were part of, um, you know, tr making sure things stayed, um, smooth at the, at the march. Um, I think they got egged. I think three eggs got thrown, maybe two eggs got thrown, but that was the extent, um, of what took place from the pro-abortion side. 
Um, I, I think one of the things, Cam, if we're going to get into the the abortion supporters, um, is the contrast of the way they were acting um, and and sharing their message and the way we were. Now, obviously, we had rented the space, so we had the microphones and, and all of that. Um, but there was there was a lot of respect, uh, I thought, from the pro life side. Um, there was a lot of you know just talking and and uh, a lot of storytelling, things like that. From the pro-abortion side, there was a lot of chance. I know the groundskeeper was cleaning some garbage up from when they left, and uh, we tried to make sure that no garbage was left on our side. And then just um, there was one side very clearly in the other side's face. Um, and I think uh, one of the guys, Ryan Manns, who works for ARPA and I, were having a bit of a chat um, while the march was going on, just wondering, there's a lot of police here. There's a lot of Queens Park security here. And I know they're not going to tell us what they think, but I wonder what they think when they witness an event like this, where the one side is extremely peaceful. The people on the stage are being like, listen, guys, don't interact. But if you do remember that they are not the enemy, right? They're the mission field. They're, this is the, these are the people that we are seeking to reach because these are the people who might not be pregnant now, but might be pregnant in the future. And we care about them and we care about their preborn child while that child is preborn, but also while that child is born. And uh, the other side had uh, very creative slogans uh, on their signs with uh, some colorful words uh, that also shall not be named here on this podcast. And um, yeah, we we're just making note of what, you know, if people looked on and saw the witness of one group and the witness of another group, I do wonder what they thought. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's a consistent thing throughout all pro-life events and demonstrations and whatnot. I mean, we've seen it at various activism that we've done as a part of CCBR. We've seen it at other events and rallies and whatnot that consistently the pro-lifers are very, very polite, very respectful, very um, prepared for engagement. And, and I think it comes back to a message that we've shared on the podcast a number of times that how does the pro-life worldview win? We win through engagement. We win through inviting people and sharing with them um, the good news about when human life begins, the value of human life, and problem solving many of the challenges that we face in our world. How does the pro-abortion side win? They win by preventing the conversation from happening, um, whether through censorship, whether through confusion, whether through other means. We want the conversation. We want engagement. We want real interaction. That's often not the appetite of um, those who support abortion. And so I, I do appreciate, I, I do want to give a shout out to the pro-abortion protesters in Edmonton and, and from what you say in Toronto as well, that they didn't disrupt to the point of trying to disrupt the microphones or or running on stage or anything like that they were they were very very um respectful in that capacity certainly we would have loved for them to to be quiet through their chanting when we're like singing oh canada and opening in prayer and stuff like that but um i i am actually fairly impressed with the fact that they did not formally disrupt either rally by um damaging or ruining the the microphone setup the audio setup or anything like that nobody was hurt on either sides that i'm aware of that is sad to hear about the eggs but yeah just a thought on that yeah that's good i do want to say one thing about um storming the stage there was one and, and i i say this with a point there's going to be a point here there was one guy on the pro-life side we had shadowed with him a little bit before he was full of passion and full of fire um for the the pro-life message he um, a number of times, so he had a bullhorn as well, where he got it, I, I, I know not. 
Uh, but he did make it in the midst of the of the crowd of the pro-abortion protesters. And he, he was being quite obnoxious with them. I chuckled, but it was a terrible witness. And then at the very end, in the final speech, our colleague Micah Rosendahl was giving a final send-off, sort of tying things together from what we've heard, wrapping them up and sharing where we can go from here and how we can get involved. And if we're truly concerned about um, the babies, what we can do. And she was making comment about how so many churches have failed to to talk about abortion, to pray about abortion, and to to in any way engage in the conversation. Now, this guy was Catholic, um, and he jumped into the front with his uh, his signs, and he was like, "That's not true." He's yelling at Micah, and then he turned to yell to the crowd, uh, and he's talking about how the the Catholic Church has not been silent. The Catholic Church has been the most vocal, and all of that. Now, Micah's point was not that uh, the Catholic Church has no statement on abortion. Because most churches that we engage with, Kim, have some sort of statement, whether it's written down or, or sort of this uh, this mentality that they have. The, the point was that a lot of churches and a lot of pastors and priests, priests have not touched on the topic. They have not dared or whatever the, the reason might be. I bring this up because we might have a lot of passion for um, the pro-life issue. We might have a lot of fire to, to, to set the record straight with the people that we're talking to, whether they're on the pro-life side or the pro-abortion side. But one of the things that I like about the course that you provide, Cam, that uh, the link will be in the in the show notes about the talk that you gave about the the, the signups that we were trying to get uh, our our people signed up with, and about the apologetics that we share, is that just because you have a good message doesn't mean that you can share that message in whatever way you want, right? We need to be winsome. We need to harness our drive, our passion, our fire in a way where we can effectively and winsomely having have conversations with people, not to, as we say, build walls in the midst of the conversation, but build bridges so that we can understand the people we're talking to. They can understand us. We can get on the same page and we can really show people um, what abortion is and, and, and how we can proceed from here. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, um, but uh, I, shortly we should dive into the conversations that I did. Absolutely. Just two final thoughts from on my end that on, on that note, I think that we also need to be cognizant of the measuring stick that we're using. There, there have been some phenomenal churches across Canada that have been involved. Um, I, I just wanted the book featured above Peter's right shoulder, Patriots, the untold story of the Ireland abortion war, whatever the subtitle is. <laughs> Ireland's pro-life movement. Phenomenal resource. And I think that that can be a very, very good resource, not only informative on what happened in Ireland, but set something of a measuring stick for us in Canada for what can be accomplished. Because we're, uh, rightly so, overjoyed by the fact that we had hundreds of people come out to various marches across the country. Ireland got over 60,000 people out to three marches for life in the span of four months. Right, that that like cultural engagement in a nation that is like a a tenth, less than a tenth of the size of Canada, they gained ten times as many people coming out to a march for life, and they did it three times in a row within a span of four months. Like the measuring stick is a lot higher, and so we need to continue to grow and challenge ourselves. And so I'll, I'll say that. And that builds into my last point of let this experience, whether you are able to attend in person or whether you're just going to be reflecting on some of Peter's um, interviews, 
um, that you're going to hear now. Let this be a catalyst towards a year of pro-life engagement and not simply something that we we nod along to while we listen to it and we go back to our regular lives. And so um, have the measuring stick a little bit higher and allow this entire experience to guide you throughout the rest of the year and not just for a day or two. That's right, Cam. I love it. That's the point of this podcast. That's why we started this podcast, really. That's why we have the March for Life. And uh, and and there are many ways we can get involved. Cam, your video um, of you speaking at the Edmonton March for Life, which I absolutely love. I think it's fantastic. Um, the audio was great. I am posting that to our YouTube channel. Um, so by the time this episode is posted, you'll, you'll be able to find that on the YouTube channel. It's one of our most recent videos. Um, a brief uh, intro, if I need any more of an intro, I interviewed a few people who volunteer with Toronto Against Abortion, Toronto Right to Life, Hamilton Against Abortion, uh, who volunteer with ARPA or work with ARPA, and then Marichelle Diaz, the one who I, I mentioned earlier. She is the founder of Montreal Against Abortion. They share a little bit about their experience from their uh, perspective. They're about five to six, maybe seven minute interviews, and so we really hope you enjoy them. Let us know what you think. Uh, these are the conversations that I had with some of the pro-life activists around the province and the country. Hope you enjoy. Can you hear me okay? Perfect. We have about 30 minutes or so before the rally starts and we thought that while we wait for more people to come and more buses to show up, I would take some time to highlight some of the work that's being done in the pro-life movement today. And I wanna do this because as pro-life Canadians, we can get discouraged from time to time. Obviously, the main reason is because abortion is legal right now for any reason or no reason whatsoever. We have an awareness of what is happening to little boys and little girls across this nation every single day. And we're also bombarded with pro-abortion rhetoric from uh, so many voices around us, from our politicians, from the mainstream media, perhaps from our universities, and maybe for some of you, from your own family and friends. Now, I've been in the pro-life movement since 2014, nearly eight years at this point, and I, I, when I look around, I see a lot of reason for hope and for encouragement. I've had the opportunity of working with countless pro-lifers in many organizations across this country, some organizations providing pastoral and counseling care to mothers and fathers across the nation, some working in the political arena, and some that are boots on the ground organizations, going door to door, having conversations with uh, people in their neighborhood, people in their cities, and in their province. And so the way I wanna provide and share some of that hope and encouragement with you is by bringing some of my friends onto the stage, uh, some of the people who have been doing some great things uh, in this province and, and other provinces as well, to hear about some of the work that they are doing. Before, we, before I invite my first guest on, just a few things. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Peter. I am the host of the Pro-Life Guys podcast, a podcast dedicated to giving you the tools that you need to have effective and winsome conversations with those of a different worldview than you. Uh, we uh, use time-tested and street-tested apologetics in the organization I work for, the Canadian Centre for Bioethical Reform, and we'd like to share those in the podcast to equip you to change minds and to save lives in uh, your life as well, with your friends, your family members, your colleagues, and so on. Um, so if you want to learn more about pro-life apologetics, do tune in the Pro-Life Guys podcast. You can subscri subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite content. 
The second thing is, I'm sure you'll notice there are some camera crews around. One of the camera crews is our own um, that are recording this. I'm not sure if it's live at the moment, but there certainly will be uh, footage afterwards if you want to take a look once the rally and the march is over. I also saw a CBC crew. I saw a CP24 crew. So just so you're aware, if uh, um, we do have some media representatives up here, people who will be answering questions to the media about what is happening here today. So just direct them to the front tent and someone here will, be, uh, will know who to direct them to. And so to start, I wanna invite a good friend of mine up. Her name is Alyssa Curry. She is a regular volunteer with Toronto Against Abortion and Hamilton Against Abortion. Please help me welcome Alyssa Curry. All right, Alyssa. When I think about you, um, I, I think there's a lot of people who use their spare time to go hiking or to go fishing or to um, tour the city, go on a boat cruise, go, whatever it might be. Everyone can put something into that line there. But when I think about you, you often spend a lot of your spare time going door to door, dropping off pro-life literature, having conversations with complete strangers on the topic of abortion. And so I wonder, where does your passion come from? And I mean, where did that start? Yeah, I do choose to prioritize this work. And part of the reason for that is just realizing the gravity of the situation. With nearly 300 children killed by abortion every day, there's barely anyone doing anything about it. And so I'm not more specially qualified for this work than another person, but if I don't take action, then who's going to? And then the other piece of that is just realizing how much impact one person can have. So abortion weighed on my heart even as a kid, but it seemed like a huge issue and I'm just one person like, what can I do about this? Um, but being part of these groups and these projects has allowed me to see the impact just one person can have and every person is so needed. Maybe tell me about some of that impact. I know you've spent a lot of time, have a lot of conversations, you have a lot of stories to share. So maybe just share some of the impact that uh, your work has had, so maybe a conversation that you have. Yeah, there, there's a lot of stories. <laughs> um, some people go from pro-choice or not really knowing to, what to think about abortion um, and just seeing them sort of transform from that situation to completely rejecting the act of abortion um, is an experience that doesn't get old. Um, but perhaps I'll share just a couple of conversations that maybe they didn't wrap up so neatly and nicely and I got to tie a, a bow on end, but they were valuable to have nonetheless. Um, and they showed me just how much people want to have these conversations. So um, after my very first outreach at a high school in Hamilton, um, I left that project sort of feeling overwhelmed and sort of like, what do we do? Did we even accomplish anything? And later on that week, I was performing at an arts festival in Hamilton, and I was approached by a couple of young guys, and they were like, wait, weren't you at our high school earlier this week? And I said, yeah. And they just had questions, and they wanted to talk about abortion, and we ended up having a, a great conversation about um, the, the humanity of the preborn, the, uh, the, the personhood of the preborn in the middle of this arts festival. Um, so that was more of an intellectual conversation, um, but it just showed me that like, these projects are just like a flash in the pan and then it goes away. Um, but people would think about it, they had been processing it, wanted to follow it. Um, so yeah, that was really cool. We also get to have conversations that sort of brought in beyond abortion specifically. Um, so one conversation I had on a cold winter snowy day in Hamilton with a, with a high school teenager, uh, she was starting to say things, well, you know, like abortion is accepted in our culture and doesn't that mean it's okay? Like most people think it's okay. And so we got to just have a conversation about, hey, where does 
right and wrong come from? Like, how do we decide what's right and wrong? And just some of these bigger questions, does truth even exist? Um, and so she followed me to my car afterwards. She was just wanting to have this conversation continuing on. And I don't think we realize how much people want to have these conversations. If we can initiate that, I think there's a lot of value in that. I love that. And I think from my experience and so many others as well, that's absolutely true. I mean, there are people who don't want to have that conversation, but there are so many who want to have a heart to heart. They want to have a deep conversation. And so maybe that, maybe that ties into uh, my final question here for you. And that is, um, I mean, abortion is legal throughout all nine months of pregnancy. Um, we're an extremely pro-choice city right now. And a lot of the work we do are in pro-choice cities. How do you stay motivated to continue on, to continue having that next conversation? Yeah, motivation definitely goes beyond feelings. <laughs> There's definitely days when I don't feel like putting myself out there or just days when the issue, the weight of the issue is really great. Um, but I would say sort of three things sort of work together to keep that motivation. Um, so firstly, is just realizing these projects work. So in both historical analysis and our modern data, like they tell us these projects are effective. So even if my feelings on a particular day are kind of feeling down, like the data doesn't change. So there's that. Um, also, for me personally, um, I'm, a, I'm a dancer by passion and profession. And actually, just having that creative outlet um, has been just really practically really helpful to process um, just some of the myriad of experiences at activism. Um, but then lastly, I would just say, most importantly, is the assurance that death does not have the final say. That we celebrated Easter last month. The truth is the victory is already won, and we're working from a place not of defeat, but of victory. And so the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives me motivation. Love it, Alyssa. That's a fantastic place to end. Thank you so much for coming on. Alyssa Curry, everyone. My next guest is a good friend of mine, uh, and not only is she my co-MC for when the rallies actually start, she's also the director of outreach for Toronto Right to Life where she spends most of her time on the streets of Toronto as well, having these conversations. She also does a lot of pro-life presentations in high schools in both English and French. So please help me welcome Katie Summers. All right, Katie, you, you're busy. I mean, you have a job, you have a family, you have a lot of things in your life, and, le and yet you spend so much time I mean, you have a job at Toronto Rights Life now, but when you did so much volunteering before that, you had, you had a full-time gig. Um, why was it so important for you to use that time, you know, around your family, around your work, to speak up on the issue of abortion? Well, I grew up in a pro-life home, so I was used to the pro-life message, and to me, it was my default. But I didn't know that there was anything that I could do that was actually effective until I was in my 30s. So as you said, I was working full-time, and then I learned about CCBR and apologetics, and I saw abortion victim images, and I thought, oh my gosh, I have to do something. And now that there's something I realize that actually works to do something, I, I want to do it. So, Yeah, and I'm going to ask you the same question that I asked Alyssa, because it's encouraging to me, who's been involved in the movement for many years, and I know it's encouraging to so many others as well, um, about this impact, about how the work that we're doing works. So maybe share a story. Um, from you know, someone who changed their mind, someone who uh, you were able to really interact with well. Hmm. So when I was still working full-time, I was, I was actually a flight attendant. And when I decided I was going to stop flying and do pro-life work, uh, there was a few flight attendants whom I liked and I had a good rapport with who I would tell this to. So they would say, oh, where are you going, Katie? Oh, I'm going to do pro-life work. 
And one girl in particular, she was like, I'm, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I'm, I'm going to change people's minds about abortion. And she said, how are you going to do that? And so I, I told her, well, we use the human rights argument, and I gave it to her, and basically gave her the pro-life position. And you know, we were serving drinks and everything, and then whenever we'd have a break, she'd be like, okay, okay, tell me some more. Tell me some more about that. And like, what do you say when people say this? Or you know, she, she brought up some examples, and I would counter all of them. And at the end of the flight, she said, you know what, Katie, I've, I've never, I'd never heard the pro-life position. Like, when, where I grew up, it was just the default that you're pro-choice. And so she was like, I, I think there's really good stuff. Like, I could see her mind had completely changed, especially from the human rights argument, because I knew she cared about human rights. Do you find that on the streets as well? I mean, you had that in the workplace, but when you're going to complete strangers and, and reaching out to them and saying, what do you think about abortion? Is that a mentality that you see on the streets as well, that people are, just have this default position and once they have a good conversation, their mind might change a little bit? Absolutely. So I think a lot of our culture is default pro-choice. Um, there's a few people right here today who are very, very strongly pro-choice. And those people may be harder to change right away, but I do see them change. But I do think the majority of people who are pro-choice by default just need to hear the pro-life side in a compelling way. And when they do, they change their minds, often right on the spot. Um, and it happens all the time, or else I wouldn't keep doing it. Yeah, that's amazing. Katie, thank you so much. Everyone, Katie Summers. Thank you. So the first two guests that I've had, and this, looking at the time, might be my final one for now. We're going to continue this segment a little bit later as well. But the first two guests do a lot of the boots on the ground, sort of the in, engaging the conversations. My next guest has been involved a little bit more with a political-focused uh, or, uh, organization. So please help me welcome Zoe Koopman. Zoe, good to meet you. This is our first time. Yes, it is. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so since I don't know anything about your story, um, and probably our audience even less, maybe share a little bit about how you got involved in the pro-life movement. Yeah, absolutely. So I first got involved about four years ago. I kind of owe everything in my involvement and in my skills to the Association for Reform Political Action. I ended up going to one of their youth conferences in Ottawa. Uh, that's where they showed me that politicians aren't so scary, that we can engage in them, and that we are there to engage with them. Yeah, that's right. Now, are you, are you like a politically minded person, or why is the political, uh, sort of the political focus important for you? I, it kind of just happened. I applied for the conference, I got in, I showed up, and that's where I like, I was interested in politics, I was interested in going in politics, and then I came to the conference. I'm like, yeah, this is this is good. Like, I love talking. Politicians usually love talking. I can probably get along with them. That's fantastic. And uh, one final question, Zoe. What would you say is a highlight that you've had during your time volunteering and being involved in uh, the pro-life work that you've done? Uh, if I had to pick one, it'd probably be when I went to Ottawa for the We Need a Law flag display on the Supreme Court lawn. It was a tragically beautiful display of what abortion is. It, the flags just flying in the wind was stunning, but the knowledge that one flag equaled one child that had been lost to abortion each year in Canada was heartbreaking. Yeah, Zoe, thank you so much for taking the time. Zoe Koopman, everyone. Thank you.
And we will do one more because we have a little bit of time. My next guest is the president of the University of Toronto Students for Life group. Uh, spends a lot of time providing training and going on the streets uh, to university students at the University of Toronto. Please help me welcome Mary Angel Bandolin. Hi, it's so nice to be here. So nice to see so many faces. It's super encouraging. Yeah, uh, I want to ask you a, a similar, similar question. How did you get involved in the pro-life movement? Right, so I first learned about abortion when I was about 13, 14 um, in my confirmation classes. And when I, when I learned about it, my head was horrified and my heart felt so heavy, but I was still in a little bubble of this childhood and innocence and I didn't know the rest, how the rest of the world felt. Um, zoom that to grade nine. Here, let me set the scene. Catholic high school, religion class. You would think everyone's pro-life, we're talking about abortion, and I find out that a lot of my classmates don't feel the same way I do. And this is when a bubble popped, and when a spark was born inside of me. Um, a couple months later, I got to go to the March for Life in Ottawa with my school. I went the next three years again with my, with my closest friends, about 40 students. And ever since then, there's been this fire inside of me that I just could not tame unless I'm out here doing work like this today. That's great. And that fire has continued on during university. Now, some of our, some of our audience here might be in a similar position, a full-time student, a lot of work, but you decided not to join, um, maybe you're part of other clubs, but you're certainly very active in the pro-life club. So why was it important on a university campus where so many people are pro-abortion or pro-choice, however they would decide to label themselves, why is it important for you not just to be sort of partially you know, signed up to the pro-life club, but the president of the pro-life club leading the club on the campus. Right, so when I was in grade 12, on the way back from the March for Life, um, our lovely teachers gave us an opportunity to go to the front of the bus and just share any experiences or reflections you wanted to say. And I remember my message was that, hey, fellow grade 12 graduates, remember the passion inside of you right now. Remember how important this is and remember that fire inside of you. And when we leave to this new and exciting next phase of our life, don't forget that fire, bring that with you. So I took my own advice. A couple weeks later, I, I grabbed my laptop, search up University of Toronto Pro-Life Club, sign up for the email subscriptions. In my first year, I'm going to the meetings, I'm growing in my knowledge and in my confidence to talk about the abortion issue. And the lovely president at the time was graduating and she asked me, I guess she saw the fire inside of me and she asked me, Did you, do you wanna be president? And I prayed about it and I thought about it. I said yes. I've been president for the past two years now. I love it. It is extra work on top of academic work, but it's good work and it's the most important work I do. I love it. And I just want to say that if any of our listeners here are in a university, do what Mary, Mary Angel did. Be like Mary Angel, find the pro-life club on your campus, sign up, and, uh, and be the president for two years. Um, one final question. A lot of times we hear the, the, the idea that to be pro-women is to be pro-choice, or to be pro-choice is to be pro-women. And I think some of our friends in the back there, uh, maybe they have a sign like that, but certainly do share that sentiment. So why is it important for you as a woman to stand up and to stand up boldly for preborn children? I really believe that when women hear the truth and see the truth about abortion, you just can't hide from it. You know, the truth desires to be known, the truth desires to be seen. And so if, if people are gonna yell at me and say, well, how can you be doing this, you're disgusting, I, I'll take it. I'll take it if it means that the truth can be heard and the truth can be seen. Um, and it's just, I hope all of you do the same thing as well. <laughs> Perfect, thank you so much, Mary Angel. Everyone, 
Mary Angel. We're just going to take a brief moment to reset the stage. I'm going to sit down with a friend of mine and talk about the work that she is doing while we are waiting for the chairs to come up and, uh, and to get ready. Just want to highlight one more time the information table um, to learn more about Toronto Right to Life, about the Association for Reform Political Action, and the Canadian Centre for Bioethical Reform um, behind the Toronto March for Life today. You've heard many stories, and we're going to hear a few more as well, about some of the change that's taking place, some of the impact that people are having. And I think about a comment that a friend of mine said. He uh, ministers very regularly outside of abortion clinics down in the United States. And one of the things he told me that I'll never forget is this. He said, it's amazing what God will do if we simply show up. He's seen it many, many times. And I think I can speak on behalf of many of the people in these organizations that volunteer on a regular basis or have made the, a pro-life work their vocation. That, that, that is true. It's amazing what God will do through us when we show up. Well, we're ready to go, so I'd like to introduce Marichelle Diaz. I'm not going to provide a long introduction because she is going to be doing that for us. So please help me welcome Marichelle Diaz. Hi, thank you so much for joining me. I wonder if we could start off by sharing with our audience a little bit about how you got involved in the pro-life movement. Well, thank you first for having me here. I'm very happy. I have to admit that for me, being pro-life is something new. For many years, I call myself pro-choice, basically because for me, that subject was something very complex, something very hard to understand. And I didn't have time to go further. And I kind of let the experts to talk about it. I thought that they were the ones who have the voice. And when I hear information on the TV, on the mainstream media, well, when you hear that about the human rights and the, um, the woman's uh, rights, well, you are a, a woman, so I want to support women. Um, and of course, when I hear about what the uh, international institution says about women, well, I agree. And I think sometimes it's easier to be politically correct because you don't have any confrontations with anyone. Um, but I have to admit that my mother in Mexico I don't know how she got involved in the pro-life movement. And she was telling me that she was going to some protests. And I was mad with her. I told her, why are you doing that? Like, tell, let them, let women decide what they want to, to do. And she always told me about saving babies. And I, and I was kind of blocked. I couldn't see the humanity of the baby. I just thought about my body or the woman's body. Uh, also, I have to admit that I have a personal story with abortion. And um, I have friends who have gone through an abortion as well. So accepting that that was wrong, it's like betraying me and betraying my friends. So you don't want to do that. But I saw that at some point that there are a lot of consequences, emotional and physical, like a lot of consequences that no one talk about it. 
like the depression, like the problems after the abortion, because sometimes you think that the baby will be the problem, but after a woman had the abortion, the problems remain. And there is a, a lot of pain, a lot of suffering. So I kind of let myself to go through the, to hear the other side. And I, one friend told me about reading uh, the Kissinger Report. It is something that gave me a lot of thought about. And I start thinking, why do I think what I think? Is it really something that comes from me or I take it from someone else? And I was kind of shocked because I realized that I was kind of the product buying a narrative, but not necessarily the truth of my heart. So I saw the lies and I saw that there was a humanity, a, a human in the womb. So I was, I then, I couldn't lie anymore. I couldn't lie and I told my mom that I agree with her and I start talking to my friends about it and then the rest is many things that happen after. Yeah, that's amazing. And I think one of the things that happened is pretty important. I mean, you were pro-choice. You didn't just become pro-life in name, but you decided to take pro-life activism. You decided to take pro-life apologetics and start a new or, uh, uh, volunteer organization in a brand new city uh, that from what we know doesn't have that sort of outreach right now. So could you tell us about the journey to Montreal Against Abortion and your inspiration for that? Yeah, sure. Um, I remember that when I just realized that everything didn't make sense in my heart anymore, I was not able to stay at home and do nothing. It was something bigger than me that was just told me, well, there is something outside that is wrong, so you cannot be here and just watch TV. You should do something. So by talking with friends, they knew that I had that um, intentions and I met other, and then by talking with people, I realized that there is a lot of pro-lifers. And we don't know, probably we're in silence, so we don't, we don't are um, brave enough to say, yes, I, I believe in this, because sometimes it's better, it's easier to go through the narrative that we hear on social media or on TV. So um, I met a friend who told me that her brother was looking for another volunteer to create a new uh, pro-life group in Montreal and it was amazing for me. Um, he met uh, Steve Orb, who is also a volunteer in Toronto Right to Life. Steve gave us the webinars. Uh, he was telling, he was start sending us a lot of information that will be helpful for us. So that's the beginning of how we start Montreal Against Abortion. That's fantastic. Now you mentioned Steve, a good friend of ours, um, providing those webinars. Could you speak to some of the other resources that were particularly helpful? Maybe working with some groups, maybe books you've read, maybe more webinars, I don't know. Like what really helped you uh, learn those pro-life apologetics and get that uh, Montreal Against Abortion off the ground? Yes, uh, we attend the crash course last year. It was really helpful. Uh, we read the book Stock, that it's basically 
it's very simple and very easy to understand. Uh, it was a very good tool. Uh, we are also trying to see all the videos that there have been done by CCVR. I think the strategy it is amazing because it's very clear. It's about like science and, and, and human rights. So it's very, now I believe that abortion is something like it's very simple. We just need to defend the babies. It's a human life. It's not that complicated. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's exactly right. And uh, the fact there was a sign that I saw earlier that said 96% of biologists agree that human life begins at fertilization. It's probably one of the things that scientists can agree on the most, which is fantastic. Uh, one final question. Um, not only are you doing work in Montreal, not only are you inspiring pro-lifers to be active, to get on the streets, to have conversations, and to, to really work to change the hearts and minds of some of the people in Montreal, but you're also working to inspire pro-lifers back home in Mexico. So what does that look like? Tell us about that. Well, um, it was just something that came up spontaneously because my mom is already part of the pro-life movement in Mexico in Cancun. So all the time that I'd visit my parents in Cancun, I contact my mom's friends and they always like are very happy to know uh, how is, what are the new strategies that we use here in Canada because there are more, um, there is more experience with, uh, with fighting abortion in, in Canada. So I tell, I try to explain them as much as I can and the last time uh, I spent um, uh, a little bit of time with the, in Cancun, so we built a group of 20 uh, pro-life activists in Cancun, and again, Steve gave an online training to 20 people in Cancun, so the idea is will be to bring the strategy of uh, using the abortion victim photography in, in Mexico, because I see that now the strategies of um, bringing abortion to all South America or Latin America is the same that they have been done in, in Canada and the US, so I, I don't want that to happen in Mexico or anywhere. Perfect. Well, we are inspired. I know I'm inspired, and I think I can speak for many um, are inspired by your work. We're extremely thankful for your journey and for the uh, continued participation in the movement today, how you continue uh, to fight abortion, get people involved in the movement. So. Thank you so much for joining me. Mary Shell Diaz, everyone. Thank you. As we get settled for our final speaker, I just have my friend Ryan Manns on the stage. He works with the Association for Reformed Political Action. And I just got a quick question um, for you, Ryan. Tell me, like I've asked before, how did you get passionate about the abortion issue? Yeah, so I, uh, I'm not like some of my previous, uh, the previous guests. Um, I, I remember uh, 2000 or 1988 when uh, the Morgan Tyler decision came down and, and allowed uh, abortion in Canada. I remember the conversations around our, our kitchen table and, and just being in awe. I was about eight years old at the time, and, and I just couldn't understand how. How we lived in a, in a land that allowed the senseless murder of, of children simply because they weren't wanted. Uh, and so I remember those, those, those conversations as a kid, and I remember growing up, saying we can't just stand by and allow. We can't just stand by and say that that's okay. And so I've always been um, yeah, engaged in some way politically on the issue. Um, and and uh, about a year and a half ago, felt, felt the call and an opportunity to do this full time. 
God's allowed, uh, allowed me to use this as, uh, as an opportunity to serve him, to bring the message, a good pro-life message, pro-family message um, to the political square and also engage other people to get involved politically as well. All right. And one question, uh, I know a lot of people when they think about full-time work and vocation in the pro-life movement, they think this is something you do in your late teens, early 20s, then you get married, you have a family, you do the things, and, um, and then you go on to a more, may I say, real job. And yet here you are, you were in the professional business world for about 20 years and then decided to go from the sort of safe and secure, as it were, to a nonprofit organization. So could you speak to what the decision was like to make that big leap and why it was that you did it? I don't know if I appreciate being aged here. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, I did have an opportunity to spend 20 years um, working, um, yeah, regular job, full-time jobs. Uh, and, I, and I had spent 10 years at the last, uh, the last business that I worked at, and, and we had a philosophy there where we talked about the idea of truth and beauty. And, and we wanted to, we, it was a marketing firm, and, and we recognized that marketing is often looked down upon for not being truthful. And so we wanted to be truthful, and we wanted to bring things beautifully to the marketplace. And so here was an opportunity to bring that um, to, to politics and engage in politics um, good, wisely, truthfully, uh, and encourage uh, Christians especially, but encourage all Canadians to get engaged on the issues of life, on issues of family, and, um, and then also find ways to engage our elected officials and, and, and encourage them to bring good family, uh, pro-family, pro-life policies uh, forward and legislate these, uh, these issues as well. Perfect. Ryan, thank you so much for taking the time. Ryan Manns. Thanks a lot.